tonight's required but unused tagline for my radio show is bitch better have my money. I don't look forward to the day that Blog Talk actually starts using these required taglines somewhere that I'm completely unaware of because I just put whatever the hell comes to mind in it. And sometimes it's terrible. Blog Talk is experiencing problems with their host and guest lines, so if you guys can tell me you hear me in the chat room, that would be great. I mean, I'm talking to myself already, but it would be nice to know that those of you who are actually listening live are actually getting some show. Okay. <clears throat> i got one listener, so I'll talk to you. <laughs> Anyways, um, uh, I, uh, <clears throat> tonight we're talking about, oh, fuck, what are we talking about? Um... Plotting, story length, and profiteering. And I put these three things together because they all they all kind of come together for me. And it's because I started writing for profit at a very young age. Um, I was writing for profit in college. Um, I've discussed that before. I got paid by the word. We don't need to discuss it again. Um <clears throat> I'm not ashamed, I'm just, I really don't want any of you guys trying to figure out who I was back then. Anyways, um, I, uh, when I got into, uh, to, uh, professional fiction markets and magazine writing, um, then restricted on your word count, so you learn to develop your story in a certain way and to write a certain way, which is why... I have on Rough Trade done minimum and maximum word counts. I'm trying to teach you guys or encourage you guys to learn skills um, to write for profit. And I can't help myself. That's, that's what I do to all the writers that I that I encounter and, and interact with. I I pass along these things to them. It's just it's just it's just what I do, um, which you're free to ignore. Um, it's just. Um, when you get ready to publish, and that may or may not ever come for you, that is a personal decision and totally your choice, you'll make a list of publishers and look at their guidelines, and you'll notice something about these publishers. They'll all have a specific word count they're looking for. Take, for instance, um, the last time I checked, Harlequin Desire, which is one of the oldest running romance lines at Harlequin, um, I think their maximum word count is 50,000 words. That's it. You get 50,000 words. And they don't mean that by the word count that your word processor gives you. What they mean is they want you to double space your work, put it in courier new at 12 point. Then they want you to give them a page, and you're supposed to do like 250 words per page. And that's what they want to know. And for, let's see... Reference, I did that backwards. Um, I used to know this by heart. Let's see, 250, like, uh, okay, at 250 pages, uh, words per page, that's 200 pages double spaced. That's about, mm, I'm going to go roughly 46,000 words. 
And that's a small romance novel. They'll want you to limit your characters. They'll want you to limit... Uh, they'll place all kinds of restrictions on you when you're writing for for pay. And one of the biggest restrictions that you encounter when you're going to publish is story length. It is the single biggest restriction you will hit at any house. Whether you're writing short stories from 5 to 15K or 20K, or you're writing novellas that are hitting the 35K mark, or you're being part of an anthology, which is usually around 25,000 words. They, so word count is your single biggest restriction. So teaching word economy is the first thing I do to any new writer I encounter that allows me to. Um, I, I encourage word economy everywhere you go. And the thing is, is I've restricted myself so much professionally and, um, you know, writing in magazines and writing short stories for anthologies and, you know, eventually doing contracts where I had to write a certain amount of words. You you must write 65,000 words. I don't want one one page more than that. You get 200 pages or you get 250 pages that's all I want to see in your manuscript is 250 pages. And you're thinking to yourself, can I use the Times New Roman font? Are they going to notice? Because that's the smallest one that you, that you can get with at, at, at 12 point that's actually readable. If I use Times New Roman, are they going to get mad at me? Because Courier New is huge. Courier New is actually the hugest font possible when you're trying to push as many words as you can into 250 pages of manuscript. And you're thinking to yourself, maybe I'll put it on 11.5 and they won't notice. They're going to notice. And you're going to get a dirty letter from your editor. Now, with independent e-publishers, as important. But when you're looking in the print markets, they get they produce books and they pay for books by the page. So the more bloated your work is, the less likely they are to buy it. You need to tell a good story with good word economics, with good structure and good characters, and it has to be memorable. And this would sound like a really impossible goal, isn't it? Anyways, <clears throat> so Zabby asks, what makes you decide the length of your fiction? Do you prefer set goals or writing until an arc ends? I am not a pantser, so I don't write. Um, um, to it ends. Now, in my fan fiction, I, I do let myself go a little wild on the, on the word count front. I give myself room to breathe because it's my hobby, and um, I tend to be a little verbose anyway. Uh, but um, I always plot uh, because of starting out getting paid by the word. I I know going into a scene, um, going into a chapter, um, going into a book, roughly what, what my word count should be when I'm done. And if it's over that, I have to go back and I'm going to have to cut. And so once you've cut thirty or 40,000 words out of your novel, you learn not to do that to yourself. You, you learn to um, pay attention when you're writing and be careful of your word economics because nothing is more painful than cutting 40,000 words out of your book because you went extremely well over your word count and you didn't even realize it. 
Sometimes you get in a groove and you're thinking, oh, I'll keep this and I won't use this, but then you have to use that. You have to use the scene you were going to cut to keep the beautiful thing that you wrote, but now you can't keep the beautiful thing that you wrote because it really doesn't serve your plot. And even if it's really beautiful, it it can go. And, it, and then you have to cut it out of your manuscript and put it in a little file all by itself, and it's sitting there on your hard drive for 10 years, and I'm not bitter. It really is a beautiful scene, though, and I had to cut it out of my first book, and I still have it. It's in a document, 4,876 words. It's been 20 years. Shut up. (laughs) But when you have to cut something really awesome out of your book to meet your word count, you have to, um, you learn not to do that anymore. You learn word economics. Um, Oh, no, no. Krista Ryer said write a new story for it. No, I, that's not that's not how that works. <laughs> I mean, yes, um, there are plenty of things that I've that I've written that I've removed from something that I that I pushed into a different book because it fit there better and I really like the language that I used. But that particular scene belongs to my first book. And there is nothing quite like your first published work. Um I still have it. I um, I have the original draft. I have the published copy. Um, I have the print. I have five copies of the print, even though it's been out of print for quite a while. Um, there's something stupidly special uh, about your first published work. I once I get the rights back to it, I'm not even sure I would let somebody else edit it for for republication. And that's how attached I am to to the finished product because I that was blood, sweat, and tears, and I put a lot of effort into into every bit of it, every bit of it, and everything I cut and everything I put in, and when I was done, when I was done with that book, I'm gonna tell you the story of this book. I'm not gonna tell you about the book itself because that would give me away. But when I wrote the book. All the way through writing this book, I'm thinking to myself, "This isn't going to sell. It's, it's this is there's no, this isn't right. This, this, this is bad. I, I, I can't write this story. You know, no one's going to read it." Um, but I kept writing it, and I kept writing it, and I kept writing it, and um, I hit 100k. And I had to go back and pull. Um, I think the maximum word count for the submissions published um, for the publisher that I was seeking to be published with was 65. No, it was 75k. So I had to cut 25,000 words out of that first book. But only one scene really killed me, and I still have all the work that I cut out of it. Some of it I use in other things, but this one scene, this one scene was. Um, special between me and my characters <laughs> but anyway so the whole time I was writing this book I you know I I cut things out I, I, I deleted things and um, I I moved things out of it that didn't fit but in my final cut there was this one scene that I kept every time I did a draft I kept it I kept it and kept it and finally I had to sacrifice it so that's why I would never be able to use it in anything else it's it's just it's intrinsically bound with with my first book and after I finished my first book, not my first book, but the first book I intended on ever publishing, I um, I printed it out, and I took it to a coffee shop, and I sat down, and I read it. And by the end of it, I thought, oh, well, 
that wasn't bad at all. <laughs> it was this really great moment, and I felt this immense amount of relief. And I sent it um, to my agent, and um, I sent it to her in an email. And three hours after I sent it to her, she called me, and I answered the phone, and I said, hello, and she said, oh, my fucking God. And I was like, really? She said, yes, yes. And it went into, uh, it, yeah. So that's my first book. And um, I, but I learned a lot about um, letting go during that because I was very much in love with my book and having my book edited was <laughs> an extremely painful experience. <laughs> God, it was so painful, and and I have talked about it before, but not because um, of the uh, you know the corrections that had to be made. It was just so overwhelming. I felt like cause I had sent it off, and I thought, oh, that's beautiful. I, I did such a great job. My agent loved it. It was amazing, and you know, I got this really big, good, this really great book deal out of it, and I was like, oh yay! And then my editor sent it back to me, and it was just one big bloody mess. It was like. It was, oh, my God, it was it was like the most terrible thing I'd ever seen. It was like, oh, God. <laughs> Here I am with my Chicago-style manual and my book, and I I cried. And, it's, and like I said, it, it, it wasn't because it was um, the person had a problem with the fact that I love commas or that I used too many semicolons or um, – I totally misused this one word like six times throughout the whole book, and um, that's what happens when you let word do autocorrect for you. Because um, I was I was saying one word, but it was spelling another. Let's just put it that way and just leave it at that. It was it was bad, not as bad as that one time that I wrote inconvenience. But when the spell check happened, it turned into incontinence, which is inconvenient. <laughs> not what I meant. <laughs> anyways, anyways, so <laughs> I learned, it was just an overwhelming experience and and when you get overwhelmed um like that it 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 sticks with you and and it really did stick with me. And so uh I tailor my projects in original fiction based on the market I'm writing them for. If I know I'm going to be submitting this to a magazine or to an anthology, I'm more likely to um, say, okay, I'm, this needs to be 15K, this needs to be 10K. What idea works best here is can, can, can I execute this idea in 15? Can I execute this idea in 20? Or do I need 100K for this? And sometimes you honestly can say yes or no, and sometimes you can say yes and then be and then be in it and realize it was actually a no and, and have to start over, which falls into uh, the next question um, for tonight, and it's about um, how you plot your stories, um, how, how I plot my stories. Anyways, <clears throat> when I, um, like, when I'm approaching a project, I I write down goals for my project and for my characters. That's my first. And then I I pick out, um, I do a uh, a cloud plot where I connect all of these events. 
I'll, I'll answer that question in a minute, Echo. Um, I, I connect all my events to my characters, and then I connect my characters to other characters, and how's that going to work? And then I do my scene structure, and I do plot by chapter, and I do plot by scene. And um, professionally, um, a chapter can be anywhere from four to six scenes. It just depends. Um, I tend to write in novella format in, in fan fiction. And if you look at, like, especially like the Harry Potter and the Soulmate Bond, um, each episode within that is a um, is a novella. Um, in Sentinels of Atlantis, my episodes were more like short stories. Um, some of them were short stories. There were a few stories that I had to tell in, in that particular series that required more like a two-part episode than a single episode. And since I didn't want to do two-part episodes, I wrote um, like – what you might consider a two-hour episode of a television show versus a one-hour or a 30-minute, um, just to keep it um, in the structure that I had created for the story. Because my biggest point in writing a series is not only do you have, do I have to keep track of the pace and the movement of my characters in each episode, but I also have to keep track of the pace and the movement across the entire arc of the season. And I think especially in Sentinels of Atlantis, um, I did really well with that. And I think it's because I plotted it twice. I, I had to plot again. And so when I plotted Sentinels of Atlantis, I plotted the first time, but then I lost the uh, two-thirds of it in a computer failure. I'd actually already written, and I was in the middle of um, dr um doing second drafts when I lost them. And that's when I moved all my writing to Google Drive. Yes, I did. Uh, <laughs> and if only, if only I had sent the work to Lady Holder, which I had meant to do. I had actually meant to send her that entire season, and then I never did it. And then I lost it, and it was too late. And I only had what I had actually posted on the website. So I was so disheartened by the loss that I, that I couldn't recreate them, so I had to replot the first season of Sentinels of Atlantis, which also meant I had to replot the second season of Sentinels of Atlantis. <laughs> because in my original plot, Patrick Shepard doesn't meet Jack until season two. Um, but I tried, I, I, I tried to rework that. Because originally the entire first season of Sentinels of Atlantis takes place exclusively on Atlantis. You see nothing that's happening on Earth. Um and, but when I replotted, I, I changed my mind. I needed to give myself some distance from the stories that I lost. Because when you lose a lot of work like that, and I lost upwards, um, both fanfic and professional work, I lost upwards of 500,000 words in that computer failure. I know. That's some painful shit to hear, isn't it? I lost two books, um, two original works, um, that I have never been able to reproduce. And it's been seven years, six, seven years, and I still haven't gotten over it. I don't think I ever will. Twenty years from now, I'm still going to be talking about it. I'm just going to let you know. I lost two full-length novels um, in that computer failure. And, uh, God, just thinking about it makes me a little upset. <laughs> oh, God. I cried. I did. When that happened, when I realized that my external hard drive had failed and, and had not been backing up my computer and my computer died, um, I was like, this is the worst fucking day 
of my professional career. And I just crawled into the bed and cried for like I cried the whole time. And my husband came home, he's like, What's wrong with you? I said, My computer's dead. And my backup drive didn't save my shit. And he went, Oh, baby. <laughs> So now I have I back up to DVD once a quarter. I have two external hard drives, and I back up to Google because fuck all that shit. I am not taking any chances. None. Not a. Oh, I also have a USB drive. Anyway, so when I replotted Sentinels of Atlantis, I had an opportunity there to to rebuild my arc and to. Um, had a really good grasp of my pace and the tone of the work based on what I had already published. Yes, I also occasionally use Lady Holder's um, Google Drive because we, ha- um, we have shared files. And so I have a shared folder with Lady Holder. And when I finish something, um, and if I'm especially worried about losing it, I'll put it in her folder. I may never, I may never get over that loss. It, it, you know, it, it was extreme. Yeah, it's been known. It's been known to migrate. I'm gonna migrate for the summer to to Lady Holder's Google Drive. <laughs> but um, what I uh, what was I saying? Okay, so when I'm plotting, my my concerns are external inter- and internal motivations, uh, pace. Um, structure, and then movement of my characters through the events of my plot. So each of my stories are plotted that way. And um, and in my series work, not only do I have internal plots for each one of my episodes, I also have a large umbrella plot over the entire season one of Say Sentinels of Atlantis. That's going to be my example. When we meet John, John has been um, transferred to the SGC, and immediately upon entering the, the SGC, he encounters something that he thought he was never going to have, and that's his guide. And so that entire first episode of The Gathering, you see John maneuvering He's moving people into his sphere of influence. He's he's gathered his guide. He starts looking at the people who are going to be going with him to Atlantis. He starts to maneuver. He maneuvers. Um, he he manipulates Elizabeth a little bit and gives her something, someone to focus on because he knows that her politics could get in his way. And at his base, John is a sentinel. And that means he has to protect them, even from each other. And that's why he brings Elizabeth's soon-to-be husband back into the fold. Because not only does the expedition need him, but she needs him, and he needs her to be at the top of her game. So it's 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 not a... Uh, it's not. It wasn't an emotional choice for him. And also, all through the gathering, he's he's gathering up the people he thinks he needs to survive in in, in another galaxy. But more importantly, 
he's gathering up people he thinks can help him keep his guide safe. And then when they get to Atlantis, there's this boom expansion because suddenly it's not just they've seen the city of of the ancients. They've got the wraith. They have the city itself was pretty much waiting on them because of what had happened in Antarctica with O'Neill and SG-1. And so that signal has been there and the wraith are awake, which is different from canon universe. And someone asked me why I did that, and I don't really have an answer. I um, One thing I would say is that... Uh, the events leading to the Wraith Awakening in the canon universe really didn't fit when I considered how a sentinel would react to the situation. And so I had to make some adjustments because uh, John's very black and white. And if the events of the first... uh, episode had happened the way they did in the um, pilot, I think that the wraith that came down there on that on Athos to, to Cole would have had a very different experience. And I believe, for at least from the way I wrote John in Sentinels of Atlantis, that if anybody got cold, it would have been him. Um, but I also still wanted to have that calling of Athos because I wanted to bring the Athosians to Atlantis. And so that's why I had it happen the way it did where Ronan was called with um, several of the people from the village. I just felt like it it added more depth and it created um, an urgency because not only were they going there to, to save a bunch of innocent people, um, they were going after a fellow sentinel. So it creates an urgency and it creates um, a, a, a huge impact. The calling of Athos takes on a, an immense emotional impact with the separation of um, Ronan and Taylor because um, she's lost her sentinel and... Um, she's discovered that being separated from her sentinel by force um, is a weakness that she didn't know she had. And um, dealing with that, uh, she couldn't deal with it. And I, th- I thought that it was important that she know that in advance, that sh- that she learn that as soon as possible, because that would make her more likely to to fight being separated from him because she knows that being separated from him is a is not something that she handles well. So going into that and pushing the pace of Sentinels of Atlantis all the way through to that last episode where I did a mirror and I and I'm not, you know, no one's ever mentioned it to me so I'm, so I'm, I'm not sure if anybody quite got it, but um in the second episode of Sentinels of Atlantis, when they when they finally get onto Atlantis, Atlantis rises. And in the last episode of Sentinels of Atlantis, um, Anne and Allison caused the rising of the city, the smaller city they got left behind. And so I did that as a mirror because there's there's this rising. Um, 
threat both in Pegasus and in the Milky Way and these two cities have have been have been pulled up from the depths they've been pulled um out of hiding um to be used as weapons and they are uniquely connected which will com- which will happen in season 2 anyways <clears throat> so when you're building your plot you you have to look ahead you have to pay attention to your pace so i build my chapters by scene um and each chapter can have four to six scenes depending on um the length of my work if i'm going to do say 20 5000 word chapters which is basically what most publishers want you to do uh <clears throat> i know that i'm not going to get four to six scenes in 5000 words uh, i might get three or four if i'm sparse um i might get four scenes out of 5000 words so if i'm doing um 20 chapters at 5k apiece roughly i want to plot in each chapter Four scenes, five thousand words. Now, if I was going to say that I get to have fifteen chapters um, at seven thousand words a piece, that gives me a little bit more room, and I can say, okay, I can have five to six scenes, maybe. And what happens is, is sometimes scenes merge together when you're writing, and the, and they don't become separate entities. <laughs> So, say uh, you want to, um, each chapter should have a beginning, a middle, and an end. So, three to four scenes makes it really easy to accomplish. If you have, like, one be- you know one beginning scene, two middle scenes, and one end scene, you've created a uh, a compact entity in your book that builds on to the next chapter. And so, and I'm over here just waving my hands around like, like you guys can see it. Uh, <laughs> I'm clapping my hands together. <laughs> it's just craziness. Anyways, anyways, so yes, that's how I plot. I plot um, by chapter and by scene. I build character d- documents for original characters. I build world, you know, world documents. I have questionnaires for research. I can spend anywhere from 15 to 30 days uh, plotting a a book and I don't start writing until I've answered all of my questions but my questions aren't endless and I don't add to them unless I have no choice now somebody had a question for me earlier and um, I said I would answer it but then um, it went up the screen and okay, Echo asks when you edit your work do you know significant changes in word count it greatly depends if I get to the end of a um, story and I've finished um, I uh, and I've overreached my word count. I have no choice but to cut. Um, sometimes you finish and you're fifteen thousand words under your word count minimum, and you're like, "Oh fuck me, what am I going to do?" And you have to add. And you're like, eh, "This is bloated," and you get all mad because you spent all this time on your word economics. And so, you know, really, it it just depends on your goals. Now, when it comes to fan fiction, I get I cut myself a lot of breaks on the word count front. In case you guys missed it, I um I like to tell big stories, but big stories don't sell well unless you're, you know, J.K. Rowling. 
I'm not bitter. Um, <coughs> I'm a little bitter. Uh, she's a great writer, though, and um, she, um, she gave us a beautiful gift, and uh, we can never, ever, ever overlook that. For all the problems we may have with Harry Potter and the flaws that we see um, from the outside perspective, um, uh, um, J.K. Rowling gave us a gift, and it's not just the stories that she gave us. It's the fandom she gave us, and it's the fandoms like Stargate and Star Trek and Harry Potter that brought us all together, and we wouldn't know each other if we didn't have these fandoms, and that makes um, Harry Potter and Stargate and Star Trek and... uh, all these other um, stories and TV shows and movies and books um, a true gift because uh, we created communities around them and um, I wouldn't even know what to do with my day if I didn't know you bitches. My day would be really, really, really boring if I didn't have you bitches. I'm just saying. <sighs> Twisted says, I'm pretty sure you document more for your stories than I did for my senior thesis. Yeah, but you didn't get paid for your senior thesis, right? (laughs) You paid some people the money and still had to write that shit. Now, that's funny because actually my thesis um, was much less work than the average book that I put together for... um, Right, exactly. You paid. You prayed for the privilege of writing your senior thesis. My senior thesis, I. You're absolutely right. I spend a great deal more time and more investment and more um, writing, in, uh, preparing to write than I, than I did my actual thesis, and I'm including my internship in that. Just saying. Um, for reference, the ties that bind Story Bible is. An entire composition notebook, which is a hundred pages, uh, it's 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 two hundred pages, a hundred sheets, and it is um, front to back, full, on both sides of the sheet. So it's two hundred pages, handwritten, of um, of information. And no, no one sees those, um, not even a picture of it. Uh, my plot document for Harry Potter and the Soulmate Bond is twenty five thousand words. Roughly, twenty five hundred, twenty five thousand two hundred and something words. So yeah, um, yeah, Chris, I'm Knightley now. This is Kira Knightley, and the day I'm Kira Daily. That's my pun for the hour. Um, I want to thank everybody for joining me and um, Zabby and. Maya for asking these questions. <laughs> and uh, if you have any questions that you would like to be featured on Short and Junk, just go to the Ask Me Anything page and let me know. Uh, <clears throat> and um, I'm actually going to have to let you go because I've got, like, I'm kind of stuffed up, and I do, you just don't need to hear that. I just don't need to immortalize that on my podcast. I, I really don't. You guys remember No Ass to Mouth? And I'll see you guys tomorrow. Tomorrow, I think we're going to have to talk about, hold on. Tomorrow, we're going to talk about Jenny and Ron Weasley. Yes, we are. It'll be great. You guys have a good evening.